You're listening to That Music Podcast with me, Bryson Tarbett. I'm the music educator and blogger behind That Music Teacher and ThatMusicTeacher.com. Join me as I dive into what it really means to be a music educator. I hope that you're able to find a nugget of inspiration each week as I share my favorite ways to create purposeful instruction through active music making. Along the way, you'll hear from some of my amazing colleagues as they share practical advice that you can apply to your own classrooms. So grab a coffee, sit down, and let's get started. This episode is brought to you by my free Renew and Recharge Challenge. Join this free email challenge and start taking back your sanity so that you can focus on what really matters, making music with kids. You'll learn about setting goals, setting clear expectations, and how having a community of music educators can be the difference between feeling isolated and feeling supported. To join this free challenge, head on over to thatmusicteacher.com slash renew. Welcome back to That Music Podcast. I am so excited for this first solo episode of season two. Well, I guess first real solo episode. So today we're going to be talking about my experience with piano for students that are exceptional learners. So I'm going to give you a little bit of backstory. If you've been following me at all for a while, you know that I absolutely fell in love with working with students who are exceptional learners after right after undergrad. So my first year out of undergrad, I was not actually not in the music classroom. I was working in different uh, long-term substitute positions, primarily in the special education world. I absolutely loved it. Um, it took me a little bit of nudging to get to start doing it. But once I got into the positions, I fell in love instantly. And I knew that creating music and working with students with exceptional learning needs was going to be something that was really important to me for the rest of my career. When I got into my music classroom, I was lucky enough that I have um, time to work with students that are on exceptional that have exceptional learning needs in a self-contained setting as well as in a inclusion setting. So it was kind of the best of both worlds. And as I went on, I realized that I missed working really one-on-one with students. I did a lot of that when I was working with the in the in the, the substitute positions and didn't really get that in the music setting. So I started teaching piano lessons in February of of 2020. Um, I did a little bit of that beforehand, but I really dove into it in February of 2020 at a place called Musicology in Dublin, Ohio. I absolutely love it. If you are in the central Ohio area, look it up. It is amazing. Um, They have multiple locations, but I work at the Dublin location and I absolutely love what I do. Um, Through my experience at Musicology, I actually started working with a variety of students that are on the autism spectrum. Um, and it was very interesting to work with these kind of these students um, on a one to one in the music setting because I hadn't really done this before, um, and it was really exciting. And as I've been working there, it's going on just about a year now. I have absolutely fallen in love with being able to help these students become musical or show how they're musical because I firmly believe that every single student in the entire world, every child, every single person is musical. It just might take some different ways to get us to show them or forget to get us to allow them to show how they're musical. So first off, I want us to note that every single student is different in so many ways. It doesn't matter if they have the same diagnosis. It doesn't matter if they don't have any diagnosis. Every student is different. I hope that it isn't novel news. 
But when it comes to working one-on-one with students, you really have to be flexible and just kind of go with what the student needs. I've never been one to just open a book and we're going to work through a method book and we're going to go to the next page and then the next page and the next page. And that's what we're going to do. I'm constantly, you know, going out of order and pulling things from this book and that book. And, you know, this game that isn't, you know, we're not on the piano, but we're still learning musical skills because I firmly believe that students need a differentiated approach. And, you know, we talk about that in the classroom setting. But I think it's important for us to remember that in the private setting as well. You know, that's why they're doing private lessons instead of group lessons is because they they want a more individual approach. So when it comes to working with students that are exceptional learners, my first interaction would be to get to know the student. You know, my, my first reaction would be to get to know what the student likes. What do they dislike? You know, do they... You know, are they able to sit at the piano bench for 30 minutes without getting up? Do they need to have some movement breaks put in? Um, you know, are they able to, um, f- you know, physically, especially when it comes to down to their hands and, you know, the way that, you know, maybe they might have some fine motor um, discrepancies, you know, those are the things that you're going to need to know. And a lot of that comes from the assessment lesson, you know, getting to know, um, you know, what the students are interested in um, is really helpful for getting them to understand or, and to be want to do music. And I will be the first one to say that my music lessons, my piano lessons might not look like a normal piano lesson, Um, especially for some of my students on the autism spectrum. It's a little bit more of a play-based curriculum. And I love play-based curriculum. I think that it's it's the best way to allow students to feel not pressured into making music. They're just making music by having fun. Um, I don't know about you, but I enjoy having fun. So I hope that my students would enjoy having fun through music in the same way. So I usually set my lessons up um, a few different ways. So first, if the student's able to sit at the bench for the primary, you know, the the majority of the lesson, my lesson is going to be um, a lot more of the, you know, using a method book and using different bits and pieces here and there um, actually at the piano. If a student needs a little bit more motion breaks or maybe they need less time in activities, then I might... um, change it up a little bit so that we're still doing music. We're still, you know, we're working on rhythmic and melodic things. Um, we're still using the piano, um, but we might not be using the piano for every single thing. And I think that's okay. Um, especially if you talk to the parents and understand that, you know, we might, you know, we're going to be doing piano lessons, but we're not going to be on the piano the whole time. Um, if the student isn't successfully able to do that at this point in time. My goal is to get the student to be on the piano, playing the piano as much of the lesson as we can. But I think it's important for us to realize that that isn't necessarily going to happen from day one. So one thing that I do that if you've been following me or listening to me talk for a while is not going to be any surprise is I use a visual schedule. I love visual schedules. First, I think the visual schedules are just incredibly helpful for any student, um, especially students that are English language learners or students that are on the autism spectrum. Um, but I think that they're just helpful for every student, honestly. Um, so I make my visual schedule with a program called Boardmaker Online, um, which is a program that you're, if you are in the special education world, you probably are aware of. Um, I first learned about it from my former roommate who is in the clinical side of autism. Um, and it is basically a board that allows you to, or a program that allows you to create these visual schedules. Um, they have a huge clip art um, 
library. This is not sponsored. There's no affiliate. Um, the, there are plenty of other options to do. You can do use a uh, just random clip right off Google. You can. I'm sure there's a bunch on Teachers Pay Teachers um, that you could use as well. But the whole point of Visual Schedule is it literally just lays out the order of the activities in a visual format. Um, so if you're going to start with a warm up, you're going to put warm up. If you're going to end or if you're going to move into working in in your book, you're going to put play from book. And it's a really good way to not only keep the lesson on track, but it also allows the students to kind of have a lower level of anxiety because they know what's coming next. Um, For students that might have a little bit more um, severe autism, it can also help them understand, you know, what's expected of them. You know, we can't move to the next activity until we do this activity first. So by having that um, sequence of things that you're going to be doing in the lesson, it can really help your students of, honestly, of any student, (laughs) but especially those students with exceptional learning needs, it can help them stay involved in the lesson and stay centered and stay focused. As I sat down to record this episode, I started realizing that honestly, a lot of the things that I do with my students who are exceptional learners in the private setting is just kind of one of those things of they're just good teaching. Like they're not, there's something that could be helpful for all of our students. Uh, so even if you aren't teaching necessarily a student with exceptional learning needs, a lot of these strategies can be really helpful in working with students in the private music setting. For example, for some of my students, I use a color-coded system on the piano. I literally take those wet erase markers, the vis markers that you used to use on the overhead projectors, and I draw a little circle, a little dot on the piano key itself. Um, and I use the same colors as the Boomacker colors because there's a lot of good resources out there that are, um, whether they be videos or printed, that are use those colors you know, for C, D, E, F, G. Um, And I think that that is a really good way to kind of as a precursor to the staff, the book that I use a lot is the prodigy's music. Um, it's a, it's a printable, it's a actual book, like a printed book, um, that's actually made for desk bells, but the same colors work for my, on the piano. So I actually kind of adapted that to my piano. Um, if you listen to my interview with Stephanie Powell, um, on adaptive music, Stephanie Powell is actually the one who got me, um, hooked on using the prodigy's music book in my, piano lessons for students that need the color-based system. And what's nice about it is when you're done with the lesson, you just take like um, a, a, a Clorox wipe, which, you know, we're using anyway <laughs> between lessons now, um, and just wipe it right off. And it, and it takes off the the color. The keys are back white. Um, you don't have to put any stickers on the piano or anything, which is nice, especially um, where I'm at, where it's a shared studio setting. So different teachers are using the same room throughout the week. Um, so that's another way to really allow our students to be successful because you can start with just literally just have a giant whiteboard and coloring in dots and the students can take that and then eventually you'll move down to um, move on to using the staff with colors and then eventually the staff without colors. One thing that I love using, especially with colors, is allowing the students to compose. For all of my students, whether they are exceptional learners or not, I want them to compose as well. When they're learning the piano, I don't want them to just learn through the book and learn through, you know, learning a song and then moving on. I want them to create music as well. I want them to understand that just because they're a beginner piano doesn't mean a beginner pianist doesn't mean that they can't be a musician that is writing music is composing music is improvising. Uh, so the way that I do that for a, at a really um, simple level is I have like a grid where, and then I have these, again, those markers, the same markers that I use to mark on the, the keys so they can correlate to the different colors. And I have the students, um, 
when we originally started out, we just do a box. So we color in the box and the box is one note. As we move forward, we start doing Taz and TTs, but the color of the note head on the Taz and TTs will be on the, um, you know, what key, what color they want. And sometimes I'll give them the rhythm. Sometimes they'll get to pick the rhythms. Sometimes I'll give them the color. Sometimes they'll get to pick the color. And then as we move forward, so we started with just colors. Then we added colors and rhythms. And now we're going to move to colors on the staff. And then eventually we're going to move to colors off the staff. And all of this, obviously, this is happening over many, 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 many weeks. But it's allowing them to compose through different processes and kind of scaffold it in a way that takes them from known to unknown in a very simple way that allows them to be successful all along the way. Because, again, I I know I keep saying for all of my students, but I think it's important to allow our students to have wins every single day. I'm not saying it's not going to be hard sometimes. I'm not saying there aren't going to be times where they feel frustrated. Um, But if I think back to my piano experience, which clearly is different because it happened at the collegiate level, (laughs) um, I didn't have those wins all the time. There were so many days where I was frustrated and I was just so over the piano. And I don't want my students to feel that way, especially for them. Most of my students are our younger children. So I want them to have wins not only every lesson, but throughout the lesson. So I'm going to sprinkle in these things, especially if I'm working on some new activities or a new song, I'm going to sprinkle in these activities where they're still being able to to be creative. They're still learning, but they're also being able to be successful. I'm sprinkling those in and kind of mixing them with things that might be a little bit trickier, mixing those in with things that they might be less successful at or might have to work harder at. Just like in my general music curriculum, I want to have alternating periods of stress and less. Um, So, you know, we're working harder and then we're, you know, it's, we're doing something that is a little bit less brain intensive because if we just push, 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 we're going to drive our our kids nuts. We're going to make them frustrated. We're going to want to get them to quit and they're just going to want to leave. And I don't want that for my students. And I doubt that you want that for yours as well. My next tip is to unpiano lesson your piano lesson. And that might sound weird, but if you were to walk by some of my piano lessons and just kind of look in the window, you might not think that what we're doing is a piano lesson because sometimes none of us are at the piano. Sometimes we're marching around the room. Sometimes we're singing. Sometimes we're clapping. Sometimes we're dancing. And I think it's important for us to have that holistic educa- holistic music education. Even when we're learning an instrument like piano, we're doing it we're learning music. We're just learning music through the main instrument of our piano. So for a lot of my students, especially those students that are on the autism spectrum, they can't sit at, they're young. They, they can't sit for 30 minutes at a piano bench working, 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 working. So I choose to take some time where they're allowed to work on steady beat. If we're working in three, four, we might get up and do some waltzing. Um, we might do some songs we're working on fast or we're working on slow um, for some of my students who are a little bit less verbal, we might work on some prompting. You know, if I, if I, we do a chant and then I let them choose, do you want to do it fast or slow? And they get to choose, but they have to tell me that, um, in whatever way they're able to do. Um, so while, um, we're still learning music. We're also just, we're doing some things that are helping them just kind of grow as a person. And I think that's important for us to realize is that music education doesn't have to be pushed in this box of music education. The way that I view music education is we are clearly educating kids in music, but we're also educating them as people and we're helping them to be appreciators of the arts um, and to feel confident, to have that social emotional learning. Um, So I I think it's important for us to remember the holistic approach of music education includes educating kids in a way that's not necessarily about music. 
the last thing I want to talk about when it comes to exceptional learners learning piano or voice or whatever instrument you're doing is to be is to talk to their parents, allow their parents to be part of the conversation, because I think it's also important for us to um, talk about goals. What goals do the parents have? What are they, you know, what do they want to get out of these lessons um, when appropriate? What do the students want to get out of the lessons? And I think it's important for us to, as the educator, what do we um, think that the students should be getting in the lessons? And I think it's important for us all to be on the same page and allow us to have that conversation. Um, because again, like I've talked about in previous episodes, especially when it refers to exceptional learners, we should always be presuming competence. We should always assume that a student can do something. We shouldn't, you know, just because they have a certain diagnosis, we shouldn't just kind of count them off and say they won't, they're not going to. I think we always need to, pre- we, we always need to presume competence. But I think it's also important for us to be realistic in our goals so that no one's getting frustrated along the way when it might not look like what they expected it to, especially when it comes to the parents, especially when it's a younger child. Um, and, you know, this is a business transaction. You know, this, these parents are, are paying money for this lesson. We want to give them the best um, return on their investment. So if they are not seeing something or if they are seeing something different, I think it's also important for us to understand to show these parents what we're doing, you know, how, look, show them the growth that their students are making, because sometimes the parents might not be able to see that, um, especially if they're not sitting in on the lessons and things like that. Um, and I think it's important for us to allow our parents and encourage our parents to be involved in the the lessons and pr- involved in how we're practicing at home, involved in how what we're doing. So it's not just, you know, their role is not just to drive them to lessons. Their role is to help be a facilitator of their music education. So this is going to be a little bit of a shorter episode today, but I just wanted to share my experience. Again, it's been about a year since I've been working um, really hard focused on students in my piano studio. And again, about half of my studio um, is our students that are somewhere on, um, who are exceptional learners. And I wouldn't change it for the world. I absolutely love what I do. I love being able to help these kids be musical. I love being able to be part of the process that allows them to be creative, allows them to show the creative side that they already had inside them to begin with. Um, it, it's just something that brings me joy. I, I it, Those days that I teach piano are long days. I'm not going to lie. On Thursdays and Fridays, I'm teaching from 7.30 to 7.30. So they're 12-hour days. But whenever I, even even if I have to struggle to go from, you know, school to my piano lessons, once I'm there, once I'm in the studio or on Zoom or however we're doing lessons that day, once I'm able to be in that lesson, my whole mindset shifts because I am so ready and so excited to be part of the music education of this child in such a different way that I'm allowed to do or that I'm able to do in a group setting in the general music classroom. So if you teach piano lessons or voice lessons or any other types of lessons, especially if you teach students who are exceptional learners, I'd love to hear from you. What are some things that you do in your studio or what are some challenges that you have with the students that you have? Feel free to reach out to me. You can send me an email, bryson at thatmusicteacher.com or you can message me on Facebook or Instagram. I'd love to chat um, or you can join inside the General Music Mastermind, which is a free Facebook group. Um, you can head that by going over to thatmusicteacher.com slash mastermind and you can join feel free to ask questions to share some things share some things that are helpful in your studio and i can't wait to see you next week for our next episode if you found this episode helpful at all i would really appreciate you leaving a review on itunes or wherever you listen to podcasts not only does this help me understand what you find most helpful it also helps more music educators just like you find the podcast to check out the show notes for this episode including any links mentioned head on over to thatmusicteacher.com 
slash show notes. <laughs>